when it comes to those two things of it being socially acceptable and then this mindset, the mindset is the bigger problem mm-hmm. is that a lot of people see, okay, well, everybody else has debt and I've never really been good with money. Mm-hmm. It's not really ever going to face this issue. Right. Instead, it's actually can be very simple. I'm not saying it's easy. Um, right. if somebody's struggling financially. If you say, oh, money's easy, that's you know insulting. You're making them feel horrible for not being able to accomplish getting out of debt or whatever it is at this point in their life. But when you start looking at the issues and taking small steps and keeping it simple, you mm-hmm. actually can make a very profound change in your financial life. But often when you're saying it's socially acceptable and your mindset is negative, like, oh, I can't do this, mm-hmm. then the default is to not actually look at the problem and start taking the steps. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Advice Not Given podcast. Each week, we share unfiltered, truth-telling conversations between two friends. You're invited to eavesdrop as we give each other the advice you didn't ask for, but wish you did. We're your hosts, Kelly Artis and Claire Wood of Melspo Gurus, and this is Advice Not Given. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 33 of the Advice Not Given podcast. And I just want to say that today we might be throwing in some like 90s rap lyrics into a lot of what we're saying, like all about the Benjamins or Mo Money, Mo Problems, because today we are talking all about money and as the or as the way money relates to overall mindfulness and how it impacts goodness nearly every every single area of life. And so we have a lot of interesting uh, thoughts and opinions on this particular topic. Some you may agree with, some you may not, some may be kind of spicy takes. So we're interested to have you engage with us after this airs and tell us what you think. But Kelly, let's start out and just talk a little bit about how you see money really impacting every area of life. And then maybe what are some of the stigmas associated with having money, talking about money and so forth. I mean, all right, here's the deal. It like, it, it drives everything. Okay. No, it can't, doesn't necessarily buy happiness, but like, that's how we, it's our commodity. That's what Mm -hmm. we have to trade. That's how we feed our families. That's how we, you know, pay for the roofs over our heads, all that good stuff. But then it's also very, um, it drives pretty much all of society and all of our sort of hierarchies in society. Uh, living in the West, obviously, that's a bigger deal than maybe some other cultures and countries. But um, yeah, I mean, it's hugely important. And I think that we hang up a lot psychologically on our financial well-being. So I think it's impossible to extricate the two things. So I know a lot of times, you know, financial folks like to talk about just like money, like let's get on an Excel spreadsheet and let's sit down and let's figure out what the compounding rate is of da 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 and how much savings you have and all that good stuff, which is fine. But unless you get to the root of what's causing maybe the financial insecurity or, um, or anything else, then you're not going to know how to maybe prevent issues in the future. I don't know. I'm kind of talking all around. I think it's really hard to to nail down like one problem, like pros and cons when it comes to your finances without talking holistically about like the whole person and the whole family and the whole like well, thing. Yeah. yeah well, all of it. It's like you said, money is a, a literal currency, 
but it's not just like paper, cash, or debit card, credit card transaction. It's emotion and it's behavior. And I think that's maybe where you and I are wanting to come at this is, is how is all of that tied in and how can, how can we either use it as a tool to help create a good mindset and a good, you know, mind, have mindfulness with how we spend and what those emotions and behaviors are. But then ultimately too, for maybe somebody who isn't in a place where they feel like they have a grasp on it, what what maybe are some steps to get back in a good place with Mm -hmm. it? How would you rate your, without telling me like your, (laughs) your family income or anything crazy, how would you rate like your family's financial security and like maybe your confidence in your financial situation right now at this point in time, one to 10? 10 being good and one being Mm. bad. (laughs) Yeah. Right. We're talking about (laughs) numerals. Um, Yeah. As far as like comfort and like security and peace of mind, I would say maybe like an eight or a nine, but am I where I would like to be or would I like to have more security? Yes. So there's like a, a, small window of like, yeah, it'd be better if it was the X, Y, or Z. But what about you? There's an aspiration component, right? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, so, okay. And follow-up question and then I'll answer mine. Um, do you feel like you and your husband are on the same page? Would he give me the same number if I asked him? Yes. And I will just go ahead and give you a few little like FYIs that, that relate to this. Um, we are, We've gone through Financial Peace University. So for at least the last seven years, we make a monthly budget. We have kind of a, quote, budget committee meeting. We Mm. keep an open dialogue about our finances on a weekly basis. And then I would say at least annually, if not more, we are sitting down and dreaming together of what we want our future to look like. We've communicated that. So I would say that feeds into why we are on the same page. And then um, even before we had done financial peace, like for us, when I was pregnant with my first kid now 16 and a half years ago, it was a priority for us, at least during their young years, for me to be able to stay home with them. And so we have always made financial decisions based on one salary and anything extra and above. We have, you know, specific things we'd like to do with that. But I feel like we have low I won't say low aspirations. We're not big risk takers with our money. And we we kind of have put, there's like a price tag on experience and the availability, I guess, of me to be home with our kids when they were little. And when, and then that worked great when he got into the army, because there've been seasons where I haven't been able to be an income earner or at least a full salaried one. So that's just maybe some background to give you on why I say we're at that position or why we're in the, like on the same boat. Yeah, I know. I love that. And that's great. That's great advice. Um, because <laughs> I would put, oh, it's so hard. I think I would maybe assign us at like a six, maybe seven, mainly because I know we have, we're capable of more than maybe what shows on a budget sheet. Right. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I also, I have more confidence in our situation probably than my spouse does just mainly because I'm the one that handles everything right. away so often, which adds a whole nother fun complex layer oh, to yeah. all of this conversation, right? He's being, he's the main income earner, however, comma, <laughs> I, don't know if he can, I don't 
don't know if you can log into the bank account. <laughs> so, like he literally texted me today from Afghanistan. Like, hey, I'm going to need to pull some money from this account. I'm like, you do not have to ask me. He's like, I'm not asking. I don't know how to do it. I'm uh, like, oh, okay. <laughs> he wasn't like asking for permission. So anyway, <laughs> he would give you a much different answer, I think, um, okay. which which I, so I love your, I love the fact that you guys do like committee meetings. Um, but I will also say, and I'll be that person to raise my hand and admit this, our financial and money conversations do not often go well. Um, for some reason they are just kind of really emotionally, they are seemingly emotionally charged, Mm -hmm. but they're not. Okay. And this, I'm going to, I'm going to drop some Enneagram and then we'll move on. I, when, when asked a question, it's hard for me to not hear, um, implications of incompetency or that I've mishandled something mm. just because that's my own insecurity about it. Mm-hmm. Um, also being the, the one predominantly in charge of it. Like I feel responsible for like if we hadn't met a goal or if you know we hadn't paid a thing off or whatever. Um, it's not at all the way that it's intended to come across, but it's right. really hard to kind of sort all of that out and treat it almost like a business. And I don't do that at work, which is so right. funny. I can have these conversations all day long when it's professional, but when it's personal and when it's our finances and the money technically that he's mostly earning, you know, it's like, oh, it's anyway, it's tough. So that's, that is something we got to get past having the conversation in the first place. Well, there's that, that <laughs> emotion though, right? It's the emotion, so it's the behavior. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, are these money talks predominantly talking about things that have already happened in the past, oh, like sure. things that have already mm-hmm. been spent or, you know, gone into debt for, or these like future dream kind of conversations. Cause I think that's a great way to like, kind of flip the switch just a little. Mm. And yes, you do have to address past mistakes and you do have to address like maybe quote the mess you've made. But I think (laughs) it, when you can get, it helps to get on the same page by dreaming of like, what do we want life to look like after we're out of the military? Or what do we want when our kids are out of the house? Okay. Well, if this is what we want, here's where we need to like make strides or take steps to achieve. Mm, yeah, it's tricky. It's it's just, it's so tricky. And I see it so often. I mean, I don't think necessarily with us per se, but um, when you start talking about oh, just all of the emotional components of money, um, there's the keeping up with the Joneses, right? Mm-hmm. That we all deal with. And that's an ego thing. Um, there's, you know, the stigma of, or embarrassment of seeming less than, or not holding up or like feeling like you need to present a certain way to anyone. I mean, any kind of scenario, right? Like it could be buying a dress you can't afford to go to a ball or, you know, anything like it could be silly and consequential. It could be, you know, spending too much to try to like, or making bad choices when you spend as far, even professionally, like, Oh, I want to go to the conference, but what's the return. Right. And not thinking logically about what choices you're making. Um, but you could roll that into so many different things. So I don't know. It's, well, I want to pull up and I'm not wanting to ask you and like needle you personally about you and Andrew, but you, you bring up, I don't know, but you bring up a thing that I think is really, really common. And you talked about how he earns it, but you manage it. So that, that whole, like who's really responsible. And I mean, I think both people have to be right. Like, yes, yeah. you may handle the day to day. Like you may be making the budget or you may be balancing the checkbook or whatever, but like, it's not necessarily fair or reasonable that one, per- sure. one person has yeah. to have that. And then the other person just gets to check out. And then well, I'll just give you for in our relationship many, many, many years ago, 
Ryan never spent money on a day-to-day basis. He would put gas in his car and that was about it. Get a haircut every other month. Mm -hmm. And, but when he decided he wanted something nice, like a new weapon, for example, Mm -hmm. he's all like, but I never spend any money and I make money. So why isn't this just in the account when I want to go buy a $600 bow? And I'm like, well, I've been keeping up with it daily and between our bills and this and that and the other, like, we don't have money for you to just go buy a bow because you feel like it. Right, right. it put us in this very weird dynamic that I'm coming off like I'm the mom or the boss or the the bad guy when really it wasn't fair that he just got to take a pass and not be involved and invested on a more routine and regular basis to even know what our financial situation was. So that's I think kind that's, of where I want to land on. Yeah. And that's frustrated me a lot in the past. You know, it's like, okay, <sighs> But more, but less about like trying to make a big purchase and more about bemoaning the fact that we can't just drop everything and fly to Italy because we, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, Oh no, like that's going to take a little bit of planning and a little bit of, you know, whatever. And also like some of our priorities, our priorities often sync up when it comes to savings goals, but sometimes they don't like actually don't have travel as a huge priority. Like it's certainly not overseas travel. Right. Like, but that's something that he, so we're always kind of in this weird push pull of how to spend the money. Mm -hmm. And then once it's spent, there's always this like convenient, um, forgetfulness of Mm -hmm. where it even went in the first place. And I feel like I was having to continually answer for the money, even though we made the decision together on how to spend it. Right. Especially like not windfalls, but you know, like when we get yeah. my, like a bonus or taxes, which I know are not actually anyway, uh, when we get right. a return or something, we spend money that's like a frivolous or maybe like luxury type expense. Um, then it's always like, well, where did that money go? Like six months later, I'm like, oh my God. Like, yeah. When just we, me spending it. Yeah. Are we back here again? Remember we needed a new roof or whatever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so. Well, and I think that's another thing as we all get older, like it's in you, it's called being an adult, right? And it yeah. isn't fun to spend a big chunk of money on a new transmission or a new roof Ugh, or yes. fill in the blank. And I think that's where a lot of us feel frustrated. And we'll talk a little bit more in a minute about like earnings and that point of, are you still, are you still finding satisfaction at a certain salary point? But I think it's just like, I don't know, it's, it's part of being an adult and having like to just show up and say like, yeah, it stinks and we got to spend this money on this and sorry, we can't go on a vacation or sorry, we can't. But there's this whole element of deserving. Like we feel like we deserve it. Well, I work hard and yeah, Mm. it it can be very uncomfortable. I guess maybe that's another one of those stigmas is not just talking about it in society, but having the conversation with your spouse and partner. Yeah. And now we're in the era of self-care being right. uh, commercialized. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's that too. Like, no, I deserve it. You know, it's like, what? what are you getting out of it though? For real? Like, right. <laughs> so. Right. Mm. Yep. Very interesting. Well, we uh, just alluded to it a second ago, but there, we were kind of looking ahead of time before we started recording about what that magic number is on like salary. Um, and apparently it's around 105 to $110,000 that once you earn that in a year, the point of like the exponential return of happiness is no greater. So it's like once you hit that point and we were joking that, well, good thing, because in the military, you know, it's not like we get into <laughs> this to become millionaires. Right. right. And so often we are single income families because of, you know, just the, the lifestyle and the yeah. demands of not being able to have a dual income. <laughs> so no sweat, you guys we will be happy forever because we will always be under that threshold. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's yeah, it's funny. It's like you always think like the grass will be greener and we always do think, um, you know, well, if only I could just like not worry about this bill or, you know, have a little bit more room or a little bit more padding to make decisions quickly without stressing or prioritizing one thing over another. Um, yeah, but really, y'all, it, I don't think it I don't think that's the answer at all. Um, and also you have to wonder, like, what is that doing for your kids too? like on the same studies and, and articles we were pulling up? It was like how terrible affluent kids are. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but definitely there are some the pros and cons. So you can have the financial stability, but then you lose the um, the gumption, maybe or the the tenacity that you don't or the find contentment or the contentment oh my god for sure well, like, let me ask you a serious question do you think i don't know the psychologist the notorious big he does talk about <laughs> no money no problems like is that really true like do you think that more money i mean not necessarily right there's always exceptions to the rule but do you think generally speaking money brings happiness I, or do you think the more no, you I have the I think we're fishbowls. I think we grow to the size of what we have, right? So it, it our cost of living grows when we have the means to support it. Therefore, like, you know, we incur more bills or again, we're, there's no like, there's no static sort of comfort level with, especially not with Americans and mm-hmm. Westerners probably in general, like that money continually just feeds other sorts of needs or wants or desires or, yeah. you know, maybe Life it's moving in, yeah, it's moving into a bigger house with a, you know, better school districts or maybe private schools or, you know, because you feel like you're arriving at each new level, but then you still have to maintain that hustle <laughs> to be right. able to, um, to keep it going. Oh my God. I heard the best. Claire, you'll love this. I heard, um, someone talking about Richard Rohr. I know y'all, I'm sorry, but we're talking about Richard Rohr taking him to lunch. And he like, the guy was like learning like a student of his and he was like, Oh, father Richard, let me pay for your lunch. And Richard Rohr who gets paid to travel all over the place, you know, do all these amazing like speaking engagements, whatever, like that people try to put him up in nice hotels. And he was always kind of like weighing this, you know, optics and, and his, his own comfort level with staying somewhere that's expensive and things like that. But Richard Rohr told him like, no, I took a vow of a vow of poverty and I want you to help me keep it. So I'm going to pay for lunch. Nice. (laughs) Right. I thought that was great. Like, no, it's not about being showy. It's not about his ego. It was more about no, I don't need this money. Like I'm just holding it, right? Like, or it's been bestowed upon me for me to then put it back into into use in society in whatever way he can. So, well, there's I don't again, know. there's that emotion and behavior and mindfulness. Right. I mean, seriously, yep. and I think that's what to me when I think about money and think about you know, kind of boiling it down to its root, it does come down to a heart issue, and it does come mm-hmm. down to emotion, and it does come down to like contentment and and do I need to be continually buying more and having more and accumulating more to be happy or can I be happy with what I have? And I'll tell you the last two and a half years, the living space that I have been in has really like, it's made me quote, put my money where my mouth is on that because I don't, <laughs> yeah, right. I physically don't have the space to bring in a whole lot of other things in my, you know, the, even just the quality of the place we're living is not what I would say is up to my usual standards, right. but it's yeah. still been a comfortable home and we've made a lot of great memories and we've had a lot of friends over and we've had great times together. And like, you can't put a price on that. There is no yeah. price on the peace and the happiness that comes with just realizing money isn't going to be the thing that, that produces it. 
do you think you can hold on to that? I mean, let's say you're now, okay, maybe not because you're going back into base housing. But I, guess I get it. If I win a million dollars, would I still choose to live in a little tiny duplex? Or, I don't know. I want you to get a million dollars and not live in a duplex. But also, I wonder, would you give that up, right? Would you exchange it? Um, maybe on the, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's tricky. Like we always think like more is better. But it's not, it's often not the case. So, yeah, I don't know what I would do. I mean, I would like to think and hope that I'm growing and continuing down the a path of contentment. But I mean, I'm human and <laughs> you give me a nice house, I may, you know, I may enjoy that. But I think, I, I hope that I wouldn't just because I feel like we have had some very hard fought and hard won life lessons in the last several years, kind of on our debt free journey. Um, yeah, I hope that. I hope these would be lessons that are sticking. But here's the other thing when you talk about mindfulness with money and emotion, no matter how content you feel in the moment or no matter how you feel like you've grown or arrived, you live in the real world and things Mm -hmm. cost money and you are constantly bombarded with marketing and just changing needs of your family and, and, you know, how to pay for things. So it's like you can have this very like heartfelt, you know, mindful, whatever about it. But then you also have to have some practical tools to like function and live in the society we live in. That's, that's absolutely true. Well, and so if you guys are finding yourselves with any extra money that you're holding on to and looking for a way to like meaningfully. Oh, I shouldn't. I will. Well, you'll hear it. You'll hear a little note about our 20 for 20 <laughs> campaign on Patreon. Um, but no, in all seriousness, I do feel like stuff like this, uh, like Claire and I's project, our Millspo Gurus, uh, Advice Not Given, for me is definitely one of those things, right? Mm-hmm. We are not getting compensated monetarily for anything that we're doing right now. <laughs> we, we hope to someday, but we're certainly not doing it for the money, right? But like we, we enjoy it. it because we love it. Oh my gosh. It's yeah. so fun. And it's so like fulfilling for both of us. So again, back to paychecks episode way back when, um, I think that that's fine. I think that, you know, you can derive your, um, compensation quote unquote in all sorts of ways, as long as you're able, um, to pay your bills and to put foot on the table, which I know a lot of people struggle with, um, especially in our community, a lot of people struggle with. So, um, I think the things that I would like to make sure that kind of land home, like there's no, there's no shame in acknowledging that you need help with your finances. I know that we, we could use some help. I mean, my God, I don't even, I investment stuff like baffles me and it's, and it intimidates me because I don't know enough about it. Mm -hmm. So it's kept me away. That's not the right answer. Right. Like that's just something that I'm going to have to dig in and learn. So it's not, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say like, I don't know if I've had a good handle on things. I need help evaluating where I am, where our family is. Um, And it will eventually head off more problems by just, you know, accepting in the moment, like I need help. I'm going to ask for help versus like letting it play out and kind of ignoring it. So, yeah, I love that. And I want to make sure that we are leaving you with the, the understanding that we know that we speak about things and maybe we're doing this from a place of privilege. Like I told Kelly before Mm -hmm. we even started, Mm -hmm. I know that I, I am coming from a place of privilege because I grew up in a home that promoted financial literacy. Like I knew a little bit about money and like I came into adulthood with a college degree. And so I I recognize that and I don't want it to come across like we aren't tracking that. (laughs) That Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, that's so true. I mean, it just, 
even little things. Like right now I'm realizing I haven't really spent enough time teaching my kids about money. Like they think it's like imaginary, right? They think that you have it on your phone. It's an app. It's not a wallet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. even, even just those little things, but that's, and that's, but again, that's me coming from a place of privilege. Like, well, I've got plenty of time to teach them that. Yeah. Like, and I'm home and I can't answer these questions. Like I'm not working six jobs and they're not like letting themselves in and out off the bus. Like mm-hmm. there's so many things that affect, um, your relationship around money. Um, and then also, you know, the, the luxury of being able to, um, sit down and plan instead of just planning, like spending paycheck to paycheck. So, well, and I want to leave just a a point, a directional arrow to someone who might be listening. You mentioned how we need to destigmatize asking for help or finding, you know, people to partner with us to help bring us along and help educate us or help provide resources. And I would just like to say for our audience, who is primarily a military audience, um, we think, uh, you have access to some free resources through your installation. I know, excuse me, for the Army, they have financial readiness programs that you can access from, um, is it here on our base? It's at Army Community Service, but I think it ultimately falls under like Consumer Advocacy Services, CAS. Um, but there's things online. I am a big, I've said it a million times, a big fan of Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Many installations offer that. We offer it here through our chapel community. So there are, there are ways to find help. So there are also, I just learned about this this week. Um, did you know about it's an army emergency relief fund? So like all of the services have their own relief society, um, which are actually like DOD nonprofits. It's kind of confusing. I haven't really learned all the ins and outs of it yet, but they have um, specific funds set aside their grants and scholarships and things like that for like, you know, nice things to do that you don't have to pay back. But then there's also a ton of support and help for things like low interest, low to no interest loans for um, unexpected PCS expenses, right? When you move and you have to pay like first month's rent and you don't have your deposit back. If you have a a major family emergency back home and Mm, all of a sudden you need $1,000 worth of plane tickets. It's like those yeah. things are available. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think a lot of people default to credit card or payday lender or things like that. And it's like, oh gosh, no, like mm-hmm. a- again, ask for help because the yeah. resources might be available to you um, that will not be detrimental. Um, it's just a matter of like shedding that stigma and the pride around like, I don't want to ask for help. So Yeah. Well, I want to get on one tiny little soapbox before we leave and transition to our actual <laughs> it advice. Be, it wouldn't yeah. be a day without a soapbox. It wouldn't be. But here's, here's the other thing I would say as a caution. Um, don't believe just because you are a service member family that every product and company and service out there is looking to, quote, help you out. Okay. Mm, um, yeah. Think about how when you come outside the gates, there's car dealerships everywhere. Why? Because they know so service members have steady paychecks and can interest have, um, you know, they'll give you a high interest loan on a vehicle you can't afford because they know that you will quote qualify for it. And I won't get into all the details, but I did have a long 30 minute conversation outside the PX about two weeks ago with the lady that pedals the military star card. Mm. And, you know, they, they present this as this big help to service members. And if you can't afford it, here's this great little lower interest than the average national average uh, credit it's card like, that you can go like 18%. Well, it's like 11. Um, oh, okay. but, but if you're late on three payments, I think it goes up to almost 20. 
you get a letter in your file, your commander is alerted to it, and they garnish your paychecks after three missed payments. So she started telling me that the DOD sponsored this product because, quote, so many people were getting taken advantage of by regular other regular credit card and credit services. And I'm like, well, isn't that interesting? (laughs) It's a lesser of two evils, basically. It is. It is. But she's perched right out literally 10 steps from the front door of the PX, which is the base exchange, the the post exchange, where literally people will go in and spend eight or $900 on a TV and an Xbox Mm -hmm. and then never pay it back and or never be able to like it just incites this snowball of problems that oh. so that's that's kind of my caution is hopefully you are being um wise and discerning in mm-hmm. the places people are quote helping you and the products offered I think we think we hear language of like proud to support our veterans and proud to support the military but they're always businesses looking to make money off of you so caution yep. there I spend most of my day job <laughs> dealing with this. It's just, yeah, discerning like who's trustworthy, who's, I mean, what did they, they just got a bunch of private, or not private school, public schools, uh, colleges. I'm sorry. I'm trying to say colleges yeah. just got in trouble for um, kind of fishing better, yeah. for the GI Bill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like the same with, the same can be said with the MyCAA, the um, scholarships for spouses. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a ton of these like courses and programs and certifications that pop up. And there's a ton of really amazing ones that are MyCAA certified, but sometimes you'll find organizations crafting a course around the certification standards just to grab that. Um, right benefit. Mm. Yeah. So be, yeah, ask for help guys. Yeah. Ask for help. Moral ask of the for story. Help. Ask That's for right. Help. That's right. Well, we are excited for you to join us for our next segment of actual advice where we will have an expert sharing some really good and useful tips that may offer the same kind of help we are suggesting. So listen in. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the actual advice segment where I am talking today to Lacey Langford, who literally is known as the money expert. Lacey, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about this. We are very excited. So Kelly and I, I mentioned to you just a second ago before we were recording that we have found in our own discussion on this issue of money and particularly how it relates to military families this is such a far-reaching topic and subject, and I, I guess my first question to you is, as you have done work in this space, what tend to be the top challenges you see coming up for military families as it relates to their financial situations? Well, I think the top one is that that's a major issue, not only in the military community, but worldwide, Right, <laughs> um, is um, people living beyond their means. and when you have a lot of debt, that causes other problems. So a lot of service members, there could be problem with food insecurity, which is Mm -hmm. an issue that's been coming up. There could be issues with not being able to cover your bills, not being able to have the quality of life you want. And a lot of that stems from debt. And then um, I think on the other side of that spectrum, 
it's not necessarily a problem, but it is a challenge for a lot of people in the military community is they have been listening. They are doing the right things. They're saving their money, living on less than they make, but they don't know what to do with it after that. They don't know how to take their money to the next level. And that right. is a challenge for people is understanding how to save long-term for their retirement, which would be things like using the thrift savings plan or for military spouses, that is saving money for their retirement in IRAs or individual retirement accounts. So those are kind right. of two two challenges that I see a lot is the debt. And then also, hey, what do we do with our money now? Right, right. Well, and I, um, I have actually been leading the financial peace class here at Fort Polk, where I'm located. And obviously, if you're familiar with like the Dave Ramsey stuff, big, big goal is to quickly, as fast as you can, to get out of debt. Um, but for so many people, that is not just a quick fix. That's not a, oh, well, let's just make a few changes. And then in a few months, we see the impact of that. That can sometimes take months and even years to undo bad decisions. Um, you were talking a little bit about debt, and I wanted to like maybe go a little deeper on that. Would you say that military families, maybe because of so often it's a single income situation or even some of the expenses, and I kind of use air quotes for that, but the expenses we incur moving, um, you know, setting up home, setting up a life somewhere. What do you see being some of the emotional reactions people have to our lifestyle that maybe cause them to go into deeper debt or to cause them to go into debt? Well, I think there's two things. First of all, it's socially acceptable to be in debt. And then the other component is mindset, which mm -hmm. I feel like when we're talking about money in general, that to each their own, each of us right. is going to be different. Um, some people are comfortable with debt and there might be some um, long-term strategic plan why they are maybe holding on that debt. For example, we talk about debt a lot, but there are people that do have the investments. Actually, let's say they ha you have a car payment, so you're in debt. You owe you know twenty thousand dollars for a vehicle. Well, you could have two. $250,000 $250, in investments in an index fund or a mutual fund that the difference in what you're earning may be different than what you're paying in interest on your debt. And so there could be some strategic plan, but for most people, that's not the case. So I think, you know, when it comes to those two things of it being socially acceptable and then this mindset, the mindset is the bigger problem, mm -hmm. is that a lot of people see, okay, well, everybody else has debt and I've never really been good with money. Mm -hmm. It's not really ever going to face this issue. Right. Instead, it's actually can be very simple. I'm not saying it's easy. Um, right. if somebody's struggling financially. If you say, oh, money's easy, that's you know insulting. You're making them feel horrible for not being able to accomplish getting out of debt or whatever it is at this point in their life. But when you start looking at the issues and taking small steps and keeping it simple, you mm -hmm. actually can make a very profound change in your financial life. But often when you're saying it's socially acceptable and your mindset is negative, like, oh, I can't do this, mm -hmm. then the default is to not actually look at the problem and start taking the steps. So I think when you are able to realize, hey, not everybody actually has debt. Right. There are a lot of people that don't. I have a we all the time people talk about, oh, your service members are struggling financially. No, there's a lot of service members that are rocking it out. Right. Um, you know, an E one come in living off of one income with two kids, and they've got two hundred thousand dollars in their checking account. Mm -hmm. 
And so yeah. part of that is like, okay, well, hey, well, maybe we need to get that out of your checking account. Right. But, um, <laughs> but you know, so there, it, it is possible once you kind of take some steps and, and keep it simple and, and be kind to yourself and not, you know, think, okay, everybody's got debt. This is just like the thing to do. And I'm not good with money. No, you should be saying, no, not everybody has money and I'm awesome with money. I can do this. Right. Right. Well, one thing I've noticed, and this is obviously a generalization, but I find a lot in our military communities of this mindset of what you quote deserve. And it's the, well, I'm, I'm not in this really nice house because I'm living on base housing. So I deserve the $60,000 truck, or we have the discomfort of maybe living far from family. And instead of saving up you know, to maybe only go home once a year to pay for those expensive plane tickets. It's this mindset of, I deserve to get to see them. So let me charge up a bunch of airline tickets, you know, three or four times a year to see family. So I I do love what you say about mindset. I think that that's a a very huge component of this, but to me, it seems like there's such a, such a distance from drowning in debt to being to the point where you're ready to fully fund investments. So let me ask you this then for maybe the, the family who is caught in the trap of deep debt or they are caught in this pattern of just barely making it or having more month than they have money living paycheck to paycheck. What would you say? You mentioned that it's not easy, but that it is simple. What are some of those simple steps to help point someone who's struggling in the right direction or help reframe their mindset? I would say start with one thing. When we're looking at the whole playing field of your financial life, when you're thinking about making a change, that can be overwhelming if you're looking at it as a whole. Right. But it's really these small changes that you make that compound into something amazing, where you can have the financial life that you want and this financial freedom to be the way that you want to be. So I would say start with one thing that you're comfortable with adjusting. So that may be looking at what you're spending. That's the Mm -hmm. quickest way to find some money in your budget is to say, hey, are we fully utilizing our cell phone plan? Right. If we are not fully utilizing it, maybe we should lower the plan, which would lower our payment each month. Like if if, if we don't need all those minutes, you can look at your going out to eat budget. That's Mm -hmm. a lot of people say that's easy, but it depends on who hurts the most though. When you have to start making changes sometimes because it's a convenience factor and a time factor. Yeah. Right. And and it depends on who you are and where you're at in your life. And so all of these things, money really is to each their own. So I really don't like to go out to eat. I actually love to cook and I prefer to cook at home. I like the way the food tastes better. I have a lot more control over it. And that's our family time. Well, I, but I will pay like extra money to get my groceries delivered. I will pay extra money to have somebody wash my car for me. Like those are things that I don't want to do. So you have to figure out where you're willing to give in order to have the greater gain. So if you're willing to give up going out to eat or you don't even have to give it all up. If you're going out to eat once a week, how about you just start going out to eat only? I mean, if you're going out to eat yeah, once a week, then maybe just go out every other week. And it's those small changes that will start to add up. So I would say if you're in debt, then yes, start to reduce your expenses and take that extra money and start putting extra money towards the debt and and then slowly increase. So after you kind of get that one under your belt, let's say you have decided you are going to get rid of your um, direct TV. 
mm-hmm. after you've looked at your expenses and you've talked with your spouse, or if you're by yourself, you don't have to talk to anybody about it. Um, and you know that this is something you're willing to sacrifice. You are going to take that money, put it towards your debt, get used to that for a month or two, and then decide on another thing you're going to be willing to give up to find extra money to give towards that debt. So these little incremental changes will start to add up over time. And then you also get more comfortable with it and, and more confidence with it and think, all right, I've done this. I'm going to do a really big change. Like I got used to that for two weeks. Now I'm going to, um, you know, really go after this credit card debt or whatever it is. So the little stuff will start to add up. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, because one of the things that Kelly and I talked about in our conversation was this idea that, especially in our lifestyle, it can be difficult to sometimes be on the same page with your spouse. Yes. Maybe they're deployed. Maybe they're just, maybe they do live at home and aren't away physically, but for whatever reason, you've fallen into these patterns where maybe one person's earning the money and another person is kind of the CEO of the house or managing the budget or a little bit more day-to-day involved with the finances. Do you have any recommendations for maybe the the spouse who is trying, trying very hard to get everybody, you know, in a good place, but the service member may not be on board or vice versa? What What's your advice for becoming more unified? Well, I think for anyone when it comes to money, and I've definitely cemented this as a financial coach, is that you shouldn't be judging people when it comes to their financial life. Right. And so saying like, oh my gosh, you have so much debt. You're like not doing well financially. Well, you don't know their whole story. Um, and, or, hey, they've got a really nice car. I really want a nice car. No, you don't know the, what's going on behind closed doors with that situation right. either. Mm-hmm. And that still applies to your own spouse. You should not be judging them on what they value with money. You should be communicating with them about what they value with money. And you should also be communicating what your joint goals are. So I think that's a big thing is not having this judgment. And then to realize you are each in your own bubble. Right. And especially if you have small children, that bubble is is so, so big. And it, it can be hard sometimes to see outside of your own bubble. So I think communication is key when it comes to talking to your spouse about money and not having this judgment to say, okay, I want to spend money, let's say every month on getting my hair done. That's something I really want to do. I stay home with our kids. This makes me feel good. It gets me out of the house. It makes me feel special. This is this is what I need. This is part of, for whatever reasons, I need to spend, let's say $100 a month on my hair. Right. Now, your spouse may say, I need to go golfing once a month. That's going to set us back, you know, $100, whatever it is. Um but for me, I don't value golf. That's not right. something that I'm really interested in. Um, I've tried it. It's just, I like to ride around the cart and have some snacks. <laughs> but, um, yes. so, but that is something that I can't discount that my husband enjoys doing and vice versa. He can't discount, I value getting my hair done. So, and then also you're going to be in different stages of your life. So, and I see this a lot of times, glad you brought up the Dave Ramsey financial peace is that you get one spouse that's like all in, all on board. We're going to do financial peace and you're dragging, right. you're dragging the other spouse to it. And that's in anything in money. It's not just financial right. peace. You could, that's like saying, um, I want to lose 30 pounds. Like everybody in the household's going on a diet. Like right. <laughs> they are in the beginning are not, they have not bought into that. And so you're having to really kind of sell that thing. So I think in the beginning, being kind and then asking them to make small changes. So if you're trying to make financial, like, let's say you're trying to save $2,000 for your emergency fund saying, Hey, I'm willing to maybe get my hair done every six weeks 
instead of every four weeks. And if you could go golfing every six weeks instead of every four weeks, that would actually help us get that money in our savings account. And we're both compromising and making sacrifices to reach that goal. So I think not being austere is helpful and not saying being extreme, like it's either this way or the highway. Right. You don't want to do that, but just asking somebody to make small changes when it comes to money and communicating that with your spouse, I think will go a long way. I agree. I agree. And one piece of advice I tend to give people who may have a reluctant spouse is instead of going right for the jugular with talking about numbers and money and blame, begin with the end in mind. Think about what our life might look like if we were out of this debt or think about where we might could travel or fill in the blank with your dreams. And I think that's a, a good way to maybe kind of go in from the back door and not feel like you're attacking your spouse is to, to just unify with like goals and dreams. Um, so I like that, but you also talked earlier in our interview about this idea of making the most of what finances do come, come through, uh, your own accounts and thinking about investing and setting yourselves up, you know, financially for a secure future. So what does that look like? Um, in your realm? Like how do you coach people to kind of set themselves up in that way? Like for their retirement or just their own goals? Either way, either one retirement or maybe speak first to whether or not we should be completely relying on our military or social security retirements. And then maybe talk more broadly about just overall goals. Okay. I I just want to say one more thing about what we just discussed. If we're like kind of getting deeper on getting them on board and stuff is to also remember that each of us um, learn different. True. So when I coach people, when you talk about doing a budget or trying to get somebody on board to do something different with their money, some people actually are all about the numbers. That's like the people that some people like to look when you give a shot. Some people don't Mm -hmm. want to see the shot. Right. <laughs> so, so um I have learned this and a lot of times, especially with couples, like you are actually teaching totally different ways to them because they receive the information different. And so knowing your spouse, if they're very analytical already, like just tell you right now, if they're an engineer, they're gonna mm-hmm. want to know the numbers. True. They're gonna want to know the minutiae behind it versus somebody that is Uh, more of a big thinker, they are going to want to know, hey, what does that look like in the end for us? So I think knowing your spouse and what motivates them will help in that discussion. That's so, great. Yeah. That's another another plug for mindfulness and yes. motivation. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to your future, same for retirement, I'm really big. I know I've already said this to Kelly a million times. <laughs> I'm glad that it's you this time. She doesn't have to hear it again. <laughs> but, um, you know, when you are thinking about your future, you're right now you're saving money for two people. You're saving money for yourself and you're saving money for your 85-year-old self. And if right. you are not saving that money and putting it away, you're not covering the rent or quality of life for your 85-year-old self. Right. So be clear on what that is and what you want. Because if you're struggling right now financially, it's sure as heck going to be harder when you're 85. You can't borrow money at that point. Some people don't get that. When you get older, they're not going to give you a 10-year loan or a 20-year loan, right? you know, because they don't know that you'll still be alive to fulfill that loan. (laughs) So, and that's something that's really surprising. A lot of people don't realize is that they think that that will always be their future. It's like, oh, I'll just keep taking out debt. No, at some point, you either you might ruin your credit, but you're also not a good credit risk, and so they're not going to give you the loan. So right. I want to be clear on that, um, that that's not an option as you get older. And nor should 
hoping your kids make a lot of money so they can take care of you. That should not be a, a strategy either. <laughs> right. Because they could change their mind. They could go back right. on that deal. Right. <laughs> then, then you're not. And and I think with kids, everybody wouldn't be shocked if they changed their mind. They're like, oh, I don't want to do that anymore now. <laughs> right. So, um, so yes, you definitely want to begin with the end of mind and that goes to your goal setting. What does that look like for you and your spouse? Not just what you think your retirement will look like. What does that look like together? Because you might be thinking you're going to be on a beach somewhere and they might be thinking like, I'm going to be in the cabin in the middle of nowhere. So, um, (laughs) so think about that. And then, um, yes, you should be saving money every month. You're not only saving money for your short term kind of intermediate goals. Like if you're wanting to get a new car, if you're wanting to, um, have an, you know, $3,000 for Christmas, whatever it is, your short term and intermediate goals, but your long term will be for your retirement. So those are using the thrift savings plan, which is an amazing vehicle for people to be saving for their retirement. I mm-hmm. think you should be using every resource available to you to save for your future. So yes, you should be using the TSP. Um, for military spouses, I harp on this all the time. You need to be saving for your retirement too. I hate, hate, hate to be the Debbie Downer and and look at the other side of the coin. But the reality is that marriages do fail. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality of the world that we live in, in the military is unfortunately people are killed in the line of duty mm-hmm. and you, if you don't, aren't properly insured, those type of things, but even in divorce, you want to make sure that you're saving for your retirement, that all that money isn't going into just a service member's retirement, which is most of the time what ends up happening is they are heavy loaded on their retirement and the military right. spouse has nothing or they have very little. Right. So an individual retirement account, you can set that up anywhere. You can set it up in your bank, USAA, Navy Federal. You can set it up Fidelity, Vanguard, um, a lot of options where you can set it up at. And you could be putting money away each month towards your retirement, which is very important. Even if you're only putting $50 away, you need to be saving for your future. So it I should- agree. And I, I second that. And for me, I have had very intermittent um, employment. And I've had employer match here and there, but it's never been enough that's like going to cover me for for life. And so I also echo your sentiment on the IRAs um, and however, by whatever means necessary, fund that Roth IRA, because I agree, like it's, we do give up so much often with uh, being a service member spouse and your financial future should not be one of those things you are ignoring or overlooking. (laughs) Right. And for the active duty service member that's listening to this, you also need to be clear on something could happen to you. And you're, you know, you want to make sure that your family is taken care of if that were the case. And having a retirement in the future, yes, you, you know, have the SGLI. Hopefully you didn't turn that down. Um, and potentially, you know, you have money for your in your TSP, those type of things. But most of the time, people don't realize how much money it's going to cost to live. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if now that spouse, and this is the reality is that a lot of times if you're killed in service, your spouse is very young. I mean, right. it could be any age really, but if you do have a young spouse, like they have a lo- long way to go. And now they're going to be a single parent trying to pay for you know your child's way, but also for their retirement and their future. So it's really important um, for everybody to be, financially prepared in the future. And that does mean this, um, the military spouse saving for their retirement. Mm-hmm. Why don't you walk our listeners through, like, let's say they're ready to, to initiate that. What's the, the process for the service member to, you know, turn that benefit on? What, what would be the first step once 
for turning on the SGLI or the TSP or? I'm mainly wanting you to speak to the TSP, but the SGLI as well. Oh, so and, if- and maybe other like financial or not financial, but um, like legal planning with a power of attorney and a will and all that. So if you came in before the um, blended retirement system, you have to turn it on yourself. So it's not right. automatic. Right. And if, in, in, unfortunately, a lot of people still have not signed up for the TSP that came in before the blended retirement system. So you initiate that through my pay. So sometimes, not sometimes, most of the time people get confused on this. And so just remember this, when it comes to money, you do it in my pay. When it comes to the investments, you're going to do that from at tsp.gov. So turning on the TSP, you're going to do it through my pay. You're going to go there and you're going to select how much you want to come out of your check every month towards your retirement. Um, and in all of this, when it comes to making a decision about saving for retirement is it's overwhelming. When you look at, okay, how much am I going to contribute? What investments am I going to select? What percentage is going to go into each investment? Mm -hmm. What is that going to look like? What's the difference between an index fund? What's the difference between a mutual fund? What's the difference between an ETF? Bottom line, you should be saving for retirement. There's when you start to get into higher income, that's a whole different, you know, like when you've got millions saved, like, you know, tweaking some things will make a big difference. But in the beginning, you just need to be saving for retirement. You can work on making it perfect later and fully understanding every bit of detail about investments. But right now, that's not your bag. You need to actually be putting the money away. That's the most- Just automate the habit, right? (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, so that's a big thing. And that's what most people come to me is like, what do I, how, where should I put my money? Like, okay, let's do something quick, you know? And then we'll talk about like- you know, long-term things. But most of the time, especially with the TSP, there's very few funds there to choose from. Right. So so, so you decide in MyPay how much money you're going to contribute. Then the TSP is going to give you a login where mm-hmm. you can go in and adjust your investments. When you sign up for the TSP, it defaults to the life cycle fund closest to your 62nd birthday. Right. Before, and this is kind of misinformation, before it defaulted to the G fund. That was a huge problem that a lot of people got stuck in the G fund for a very long time and basically lost money with inflation. Now they have fixed that. So when you sign up for the TSP, again, it's going to the life cycle fund closest to your 62nd birthday. And that might be fine for you. Bottom line, you're saving money for retirement, but then you have that login. You can go in and you can decide if you want to put more money into um, the G or the F fund, the S fund, the I fund. Um, You can make adjustments with that. So all the investments you change within your TSP login through tsp.gov and, but setting it up is going to be done through my pay. And and anytime, let's say um, you get promoted now, let's say when you get promoted, you should right. inc- you should increase your TSP. Anytime you get a raise, you should take half of it to increase your your savings, your investment, and the other half you can use to increase your quality of life. But you shouldn't be dumping all of that money to increase your quality of life every time. So, when that's the case, when you go and um, want to increase it, you're going to do that through my pay as well. Right. And one of the reasons Lacey is encouraging you to do this sooner rather than later is simply compound interest, right? <laughs> Explain to our listeners why it's so important to to set these habits early so that they have the benefit of time. Yes. The sooner you start, the better. And for example, if I am 42, if a 19-year-old and I started saving money at the same time, I would have to put in probably four times what they put in 
and they would still have more money than me in retirement because I they like double. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yep. Because they saved early. And actually, to be honest, even when you start saving early, that person could stop saving for a little while and still have more money than me in retirement. That's how important it is. But the problem is, is that, you know, when we're young, that's not an area of focus for us. We're still learning and we're all about the lifestyle. We want to go out with our friends and have a good time. We want to meet people. We're looking, you know, for a partner, looking to get married, all of those things. And um, it can be also tempting to keep up with the Joneses. And so you're not putting away the money. But really, right. if you just start with $50 and increase that, I, I think every six months mm-hmm. to a year, not, don't wait for a raise. You should right. be increasing that Um And like I mentioned earlier, you're making those small changes that are going to really impact you later on. So yes, if you put money in now, you're, let's say you're putting a dollar, that's going to earn interest. Mm -hmm. And then the next time it earns interest, it's going to be interest on the dollar plus all of the money you've earned. And so it compounds over time. And um, that's when it comes down to you're making money while you sleep. Right. And and you want all the extra help you can get when it comes to saving money. Let your money work for you, right? Not yes. you working for your money. I yeah. love it. Well, Lacey, I have really enjoyed this conversation. And I think I tend to be such a rigid black or white person. And I love that you have made this such a, a personal thing. And, you know, there's a lot of grace in the the way you've described talking about money and a lot of uh, room for individual choice and, um, you know, just kind of eating the elephant one bite at a time. And I've, I love hearing that approach. I think it's really going to really going to resonate with a lot of our listeners. Um, I wanted to give a plug for your show, your podcast, which is the Military Money Show. Uh, Lacey frequently has all kinds of uh, subject matter experts on. And can you tell our listeners maybe a little bit more about your podcast and then also where they can find you online? Yes. Um, My show, the Military Money Show, is focused on helping the military community make, save, and invest money wisely in a way that is practical and approachable to really help you change your financial life and get you to where you want to be. So it's something I'm very passionate about is really talking with people that can teach you lessons and maybe give you food for thought on some financial issues that you may have not covered before. So um, definitely, I would love it if you check it out. You can find that at LaceyLangford.com. And also on Twitter, I'm Finance Lacey and um, Lacey Langford everywhere else and the Military Money Show, Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Lacey. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Advice Not Given. For resources and links to all the things mentioned in today's episode, head over to our website at millspogurus.com. That's M-I-L-S-P-O-G-U-R-U-S. If you enjoyed this episode, please help others find us by adding your thoughts to an iTunes review and subscribing so you never miss a show. If you're interested in being a next level supporter of our endeavors, check out our Patreon page. You can pledge as little as a dollar per episode to help us out with expenses. Think of it as eavesdropping on our coffee date, but then sending over a latte. It's a thing. Also, be sure to find us on Instagram and Facebook at Gurus, where we keep the conversation going and where you can share your advice not given. Thank you.